Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Policy Genius Life Insurance. If you're an adult, especially one with kids, you know you need it, but it's so easy to put it off. Shopping for life insurance is confusing. It takes forever and you have to speak to an agent just to get a quote. That sounds lame, guys. Policy Genius lets you compare life insurance from the top providers online. It takes as little as five minutes or if you're busy, one minute per day for five days. Thank you for doing that oh, math. Funny, Policy huh? If you find a policy you like and you want to know more, you can talk to one of their licensed agents. But if you're just browsing around life insurance plans, you don't have to talk to anyone. Browse away. And they don't just do life insurance. You can get disability insurance, renter's insurance, pet insurance, and compare health insurance. Policy Genius helps customers through the insurance application process, picking the right policy to making it through the underwriting process with the insurer. So John, John, if you need life insurance, but you've been putting it off, try Policy Genius. I don't have any dependents. You have Pundit. <laughs> you still have Pundit. You can compare life insurance online on your own terms in your own time. Policygenius.com because you should only be forced to speak to an agent if you've committed a federal crime. <laughs> he's, got, he's policy genius, They're folks. killing it. That's killing so good. It. Hey, guys. You're listening to Crooked Conversations. This is Tommy Vitor, host of Pod Save the World and co-host of Pod Save America. My guest today is Jane Mayer. Jane is the author of the book Dark Money and a New Yorker staff writer, I want to sit down with Jane because her book, Dark Money, changed the way I think about politics forever. I knew about the way money was infecting our politics, uh, but I had no idea the scope or extent of it until I read her book. And I had no idea the way the Citizens United ruling and subsequent political interpretations of it have allowed individual billionaires to be more powerful than even U.S. senators themselves. Uh, it is an, as eye-opening a book as I've read in a very long time. I think it is absolutely critical to understand the rise of Trump, the rise of the alt-right, the rise of the Tea Party, all of these forces we've seen coalesce in our politics in the last several years that have fundamentally reshaped the political landscape and, and the way uh, our democracy is functioning. Trump called out the Kochs. He, he, he called them like puppeteers. Right. Yet now he's president and the Koch... The Coke machine, all these people who've worked for them, including even the guy that ran their political operation, are in key positions. I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you enjoy it, you should check out her book, Dark Money. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Jane, thank you so much for being here today in this beautiful Georgetown studio. We're back in the swamp. I'm very happy to be here in the swamp. <laughs> so great to be with you. Um I mention your book so often on the show that it has become a running joke with my co-hosts. Um, but I think I'm someone who worked in politics for like a decade. I guess I'm still doing it. Um, I thought I was pretty sophisticated about how these things work. But it's hard to overstate the role of dark money in warping our politics and getting us to this fractured partisan place uh, that we're at today. So I was hoping we could talk about the book and just sort of start with the basics and define the problem that you describe in the book. Uh, with a simple question, which is, what is dark money? 
Okay, but first I just want, as a disclosure, since I'm an expert in dark money, to say there you have received no dark money or bright money for all of those endorsements of the book. So, no, our, um, our, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, Nor has Crooked uh, Media generally. Our Series A was 100 bucks in cash and uh, then a bunch of blue apron ads, so here we are. There you go, there you go. Anyway, what is dark money? It's the money you don't see that's going into politics. It's kind of, um, someone described it to me as a little bit like... Um, when, when, if someone had a magnet under a table and you just see the little sort of iron filings moving along the top, <laughs> um, you know there's something down there when you're a reporter, but you can't really get your hands on exactly mm-hmm. what it is. It's um, the, what it is is specifically a, a kind of spending that comes from anonymous donors who are able to uh, uh, channel their money through um, charitable groups that mm-hmm. claim to be s- social welfare groups. And they're not supposed to be explicitly political, but what they do is they end up uh, paying for all kinds of political activities, and the IRS never busts them for it. So yeah. more and more money's been going through that way. Um, can you describe the Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission case, which is often just shorthanded as Citizens United, and help us understand how that ruling has allowed billionaires and corporations and other interest groups to buy more influence than they could 20, 30 years ago? Well, sure. I mean, in shorthand, there used to be limits on how much individuals could spend um, to push their political candidates. Um, Supporters were limited in, you know, the amount of money they could reach into their pocketbooks and spend. And um, what happened with Citizens United was spending got redefined as speech and speech is unlimited in this country. And once that happened, it meant basically the brakes were off. Mm. So um, every, it's interesting, though, because people thought it would have one effect and it's actually had another. People thought it would probably mean that corporations, um, companies would just flood the zone and and completely dominate American politics. And they didn't because it was a little bit too controversial for most companies to mm. get into. So instead, what happened was really, really rich individuals with very strong views took over. Hmm. And so you kind of have um, warring warlords in politics now, um, rogue billionaires who are um, trying to kind of capture the process, right? put right. their people in, in office. Speaking of warring warlords and rogue billionaires, the Koch brothers. Um, <laughs> I used to roll my eyes when I would hear liberals complain about the Koch brothers. I had a hard time believing they had as much influence as we claimed in the same way that I thought it was ridiculous when Republicans would blame everything on a liberal billionaire named George Soros. But your book, again, changed my thinking on the subject. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the Coke network how, and how it evolved? Like, who, What is the Coke network? Where do these people meet and, and who shows up and, and what are their goals? So those are a whole lot of questions, but I just to start in the beginning, I, like you, am, I was skeptical because um, I don't really believe in conspiracy theories and that, you know, there are a small group of people controlling anything. Most mm-hmm. people I know are not organized enough. Yeah. And so it doesn't usually work like that. But what I discovered after covering politics in Washington since the Reagan era was there actually is kind of a small club of incredibly wealthy people. And at its center are these two brothers from Wichita, Kansas. There are actually four of them, but two of them are really active in politics. They are among the richest people in the world. Um, Charles and David Koch together have private fortunes, if you combine them, of $95 billion. Oh, my God. 
Um, they own the second largest private company in America between the two of them. And um, it it gives them an incredible amount of um, influence that they're able to buy. Mm-hmm. And unlike most people, they've actually spent 40 years trying to figure out how to get the biggest bang for their buck in mm-hmm. politics. And so they've they've put a lot of energy into really figuring out how to manipulate American politics with their fortune. And um, so what the book's about is who they are, how they got going, mm-hmm. and what they've been doing while nobody's been paying that much attention. <laughs> and they built up this thing that even their own side, um, the fellow, they're, they're libertarians, um, and their fellow libertarians call what they've built the coctopus <laughs> because it has so many tentacles in so many little bits of America at this point. And so what I did then was it took me five years, but I was just trying to follow the money and figure out where all those tentacles are. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I didn't get all of it, but I found a lot of it. And they've put billions, not just millions, but billions into American politics over the last 40 years. So they've, they've, and they're very smart. Both, both of those Koch brothers are graduates of MIT, Mm -hmm. um, both undergraduate um, degrees and graduate degrees. They they are engineers. Hmm. So they kind of looked at taking over American politics as an engineering challenge. <laughs> it's sort of like, um, you know, how does this machine work? What are the pressure points? And how can we make it ours? And and they created sort of a an assembly line for taking over politics. One of my favorite anecdotes in the book is uh, you mentioned how they inherited, uh, I think, $680 million and still think of themselves as self-made men, I think tells you a lot about the Koch brothers. So to the Koch to Puss tentacles, um, I think when people hear about the problem of money in politics, they think donations to candidates and how that can distort a candidate's view. Or maybe if you're a little more sophisticated, you think about party committees like the DNC uh, and the mass amount you can give to those committees or even a super PAC. But your book talks about how much deeper those investments go. Let's start with schools, for example. Private foundations led by the Koch brothers invested more than $23 million in colleges and universities in 2014 alone. Uh, they give money to law schools. They've given huge amounts of money in previous years. Um, a top Koch aide called their network, quote, fully integrated. So it's not just work at the universities with the students, but it's also building a state-based capabilities and election capabilities and integrating this talent pipeline. What does that mean? (laughs) What is the pipeline? The pipeline. It's it's just, and I know, again, you're dealing with these engineers. So this is great. I'm really (laughs) glad that you want to look at the larger picture because this is, I think, why they're so important. Plenty of people over the years have put money into campaigns and candidates. And a lot of companies have put money into lobbying. Um, but mm-hmm. the Cokes have added a new dimension to this. They decided that the only way to really capture American politics was to change how Americans think. Mm-hmm. So when they started doing this, which was about 19, a little before 1980, um, the country mostly believed that government was a good thing and that it was doing good things for America. And, um, and, there were very few people who believed what the Kochs believed, which is that um, you should have almost no government at all. They're, they're far-right libertarians. Their father was a member of the John Birch Society, one of the founders. And so they – anyway, they decided 
they needed to make the country think the way they thought. And that it wasn't just going to be, they weren't going to be able to just back candidates to do that. So they started to try to change American public opinion by, um, they fund intellectuals, they fund and founded think tanks who turn out, they turn out position papers. Um, they funded programs in universities, as you mentioned. There's now more than 350 colleges and universities that have programs that are um, partly paid for by the Kochs and often wow. founded by them. They're trying to get kids, um, which is very important um, because they're the future. It's mm -hmm. the next generation. So they're trying to – they also have publications, news organizations, um, just all kinds of ways that um, public opinion is formed, they've tried to take over and and fill with their own ideology and and wage very openly a battle of ideas. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I found particularly interesting. Yeah. They've played a long game. They started in about 1980, and they've been at it for more than 40 years, and they are aiming to really change the nature of the country. And mostly, if you sort of boil it down, their message is um, America should hate government. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned think tanks because that's, I think, one of the stops on the pipeline. <laughs> um, when I think of a think tank, I think of stuffy academics with, you know, uh, elbow patches, cranking out policy papers that no one ever reads. That has changed dramatically. They have, And they've driven that change. Um, I mean, how do they use those think tanks that they sponsor to drive policy either at a federal or state level? Is there an example you can think of? Well, so a, a, a lot of those think tanks churn out papers that, that they then give right to congressmen mm -hmm. who then go and take this as their position. So, right. for instance, they have funded studies that say that the more guns you have, the safer you will be. Mm -hmm. um, and that crime goes down when you have more guns. Now, mm -hmm. most most social scientists will tell you the more guns there are, the more shooting there will be and the more casualties there will be. Mm -hmm. But they, that they actually funded the opposite. And then congressmen who want to please the NRA, cite this paper and say, you see, we'll be safer if we have more right. guns. So um, they've been able to just, it provides sort of, to tell you the truth, if you really want to think about it, they've provided kind of the beginning of what Kellyanne Conway talked about recently, which was alternative facts. Right. Um, it's a factory to create alternative facts. Um, and probably if you want to look at the issue where they've had the biggest impact, it's on climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, what do you think they're getting for this investment? Well, on climate change, they're getting an unbelievable amount because you have to go back to the nature of how these um, brothers made their fortune. Coke Industries is a fossil fuel company. Mm -hmm. It's in the oil and gas and coal business. And so what and 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 it's incredibly profitable. Mm. So what they the, each of those brothers makes themselves about a billion dollars a year. <laughs> so um, what okay. they want to do is make sure that they can keep making this fortune. And the, the biggest threat to them is if America moves off of fossil fuels mm -hmm. to renewable energy or um, you know any kind of other energy besides fossil fuels. And so so the threat that they saw even going back to the 80s was that um, climate change was looming mm -hmm. and it seemed to be um, caused by carbon pollution, which comes from burning fossil fuels. And so what they needed to do was try to uh, change public opinion on whether that was an issue worth doing something about. Right. 
So they have funded an, the climate denial movement, it's called. And mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, think tanks and scientists that turn out papers saying there seems to be doubt about whether climate change is real. There seems to be doubt about whether humans are causing it. And um, it's not really worth doing anything about. Some of the, some of the, <laughs> that I've, I've interviewed some of the scientists that, that, that they have mm-hmm. helped fund, and they've argued things like, well, the polar bears are better off now. There are more polars, polar bears than there ever were, and, you know, they'll learn to swim. <laughs> um, and um, cool. anyway, it's, it's, it's created a, a ton of confusion out in the country about whether the science is real. We, we, we're the only country that it, where the consensus has been moving away from endorsing the idea that we need to do something about climate change. Mm-hmm. That, it was, it, that was for a number of years. I have to say, in the very recent years, though, mm-hmm. largely because of, of the younger generation, um, the public is kind of catching on and beginning to take it really seriously. And I think these weather events we've been happen- having is also, are also making a big difference. Yeah. But Anyway, so that's what they've been doing. They fund climate denial through these think tanks. Um, a pl- another plug for the book. The, the way that some of the organizations they fund have treated not just policymakers but actual climate scientists is, is shocking. And everyone should read the book to learn more about that because we could do a whole other episode on climate change alone and the Koch brothers. I mean, there's a, there are a couple of heroes in the book. And one of them, for me anyway, was Michael Mann, who's a, sci- a climate mm-hmm. scientist. And— his great sin was discovering that um, that there seemed to really be climate change taking place in this country and in an alarming rate. And uh, for his honest research, he was attacked viciously by from many different directions of organizations that were were funded by the Kochs and and their network and. Um, you know, I've always known, I mean, we all know that, for instance, that sometimes that, that abortion doctors live in fear, mm-hmm. um, even physically. But I never realized that climate scientists were living in fear. But Michael Mann really was a, under attack. Yeah. I mean, there were literally letters coming that he was afraid had anthrax in them. And the FBI had to tape off his office. And he was afraid his family was in danger. And all of this simply for trying to get the facts out there about what his research showed. It's unbelievable. More Crooked Conversations are coming after this break. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Soothe. Tommy, did you ever find that uh, you want a massage? Massage. You know, there's a lot in life that can stress you out, guys. Okay? You it's like Don- politics these days. Yeah, Donald Trump's tweets. They're bumming us out. Okay, you got to pay bills. You got to find some great life insurance. There's He's a lot doing of things his Boston bozo you need to do. He's just a Boston bozo talking about Soothe. That's why you need Soothe. It's an on-demand <laughs> massage service that delivers a hand-selected, licensed, and experienced massage therapist to you in the comfort of your own home, motel, office, as in as Mo- little hotel? as an hour. <laughs> I said motel, pal. Soothe, they show up with everything. They bring the massage table, the sheets, the oil, even some tunes. You can unwind. Can you pick your tunes? No matter where you are. I, I listen to the Stranger Things soundtrack. It's <laughs> a freak people out. You know, my motel's got a bad rap. It's kind of nice driving right up to your room. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> weird. You choose the kind of massage you want from Swedish to sport to deep tissue and more. You can Honestly, even offer a couple's massage. There should be like high-end motels. Cool. You can set the length of your massage and you can also get to pick the gender of your therapist. Therapists can earn over three and a half times what they make at a spa while maintaining incredible schedule flexibility. 
That means you can book a massage at like 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. Or, no, 11 drove, a, or 11 a.m. on a Monday. I drove right to my room and there's a beautiful rain shower in there. You yeah, know? And, a, and, a, and, and an HBO. And you get a massage from Sooth. Uh, you can book on the iPhone or Android app or on the web. Sooth is in 50 cities, including most major U.S. cities and international cities like London, Sydney, Melbourne, Toronto, and Vancouver. Vancouver. Book a massage as soon as today. Our listeners are getting a special offer that you get you 20 bucks off your first massage when you use our code CROOKEDCONVO. Download Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E, the iOS app store or Google Play store. Be sure to use our code CROOKEDCONVO to get 20 bucks off your first massage. Soothe, spa quality massage anytime, anywhere. My guest today is Jane Mayer on Crooked Conversations. I'd like to talk about an, an example of how some of this influence peddling sort of manifested itself in Washington recently. Uh, I, I remember sitting in the White House in, in 2009, watching the emergence of the Tea Party. Initially, they were kind of mocked and made fun of, especially during before the August recess. Um, it quickly got more serious. But the, the conventional wisdom was that this was a popular uprising, a response to anger over spending and the deficit. You had this clown on CNBC screaming from the Chicago Merck Exchange because that's where all the populists live, I guess, is on the you know, floor of a, you know, whatever. But your book tells a very different story about how the Tea Party movement was actually seeded uh, and funded and supported by massive amounts of money from these secretive groups. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what you learned. Well, it, it, it really surprised me. If you go back, you can you can see that for 10 years before the Tea Party really popped up onto the public consciousness in this country, the the these these same sort of libertarian billionaires were trying to stage little mini Tea Party rebellions. It just didn't really catch on. But they had people with, you know, muskets and um, you know, colonial outfits, and they literally had people talking about, you know, the tea, the being like the new Tea Party. So they kept trying and trying, mm-hmm. and they the, the they really the problem was as as one of the people who was involved in it said to me was it w- it was you know as he put it all all chiefs and no Indians they couldn't <laughs> get any. It wasn't a popular issue right. to just, uh, you know, a, a t- turn all this hate on the government until Obama was elected. Mm-hmm. And then what they really did was they mobilized a lot of the, the Obama haters mm-hmm. and and they pushed them in a particular sort of political direction, which was towards this this tax rebellion um, and particularly against the the, the Obamacare. So, um, so I've again followed the money, and if you read the book, you'll see that I interviewed a lot of the people who were involved in it, and mm-hmm. and some of them were were pretty open about it. This is kind of where I came into the story because I started writing about the Cokes in 2010, and these Tea Party rebellions were breaking out all over the place, and it interested me as someone covering politics because. All over the country, there would be these rebellions, but people were carrying the same signs, and they were <laughs> and they were wearing hmm. the same outfits. And um, it seemed kind of a remarkable coincidence to me, and it seemed organized. and And having covered politics for so long, I sort of figured something must be up. So I, I started kind of looking into it, and and in particular, when I first called the Cokes and their PR people, they said they had absolutely nothing to do with the Tea Party. <laughs> But then I went down to a uh, powwow that the Koch's uh, political group was organizing down in Texas. 
And I got there and all these tea party people were being trained by them and told, you know, give, being given lists of which congressmen to call and what to say. And they would be given, being given these awards for, you know, the best sort of <laughs> blog posts that were pro tea party. And I finally found a woman in charge of it. And she said to me, Oh, sure. We've been, we've been organizing the tea party for years. And yeah, we work for the Cokes. They're our people and that's where we get our money. And, right. you know, so it was suddenly like you pick up a rock and you see all these things crawling underneath it. And that's when I began to really get interested in the mm-hmm. subject. Cause I thought there is a story they are, do not want the world to know. Yeah. Um, you also wrote a fantastic piece uh, recently in The New Yorker about Vice President Pence. And the thrust of it was that liberals should not fantasize about a Pence presidency because it could be pretty bad. But, it, you know, part of the piece detailed his deep ties into the Koch network. Uh, President Trump initially did not have a good uh, relationship with the Kochs. Uh, I think they they thought pretty poorly of him. But uh Pence actually had been working for or with them for a long time. Can you describe that relationship? And a question that, you know, is more subjective is, do you think Vice President Pence would be the vice president right now if he wasn't so close to the Koch brothers? Well, I think it certainly was a a great asset from the standpoint of the Republican Party that he brought into the Trump administration. And that's what comes from interviewing um, people like Mark Short, who worked both with the Kochs, he was the head of their political operation and is now uh, the head of the uh, congressional liaison in the mm-hmm. Trump White House. What it did was, I mean, it, again, it's so interesting because all these people voted for Trump because they wanted to throw out what they thought was sort of the corrupt, big moneyed interests that were rigging American politics. And so specifically Trump Trump called out the Kochs. He, he, he called them like puppeteers. Right. Yet now he's president and the Koch, the Koch pe- machine, all these people who've worked for them, including even the guy that ran their political operation, are in key positions all over the Trump administration. And how did that happen? It happened in large part because of the vice president, Mike Pence. He's been very tight with the Kochs mm-hmm. since pretty much since 2009, that's when they started really working closely together. And he pushed some legislation. He helped kill some legislation, in fact, that that they were very worried about that would have put a tax on climate pollution, mm-hmm. on carbon pollution. And when he did that, they kind of adopted him. They invited him to these secret summits they have with big donors um, twice a year. And he was a, a kind of a speaker and celebrated. And then they started pouring money into his campaigns. And he became their favorite candidate to be president. Charles Koch was hoping in 2012 that Mike Pence would run for the presidency. Wow. So he's there, he, you know, and you don't have to take this from me. I interviewed, among other people, Steve Bannon, who who um, said to me, he's he is very concerned, he said, that if for any reason Trump was removed from office or stepped down or whatever, um, and Pence took over, that Pence would be a president who would be, as he put it, owned by the Kochs. Mm. So um, it's a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad Steve Bannon found religion on uh, dark money. It's funny. Just kidding. It's, I know, he but it's, not. I mean, the thing is, you know, he's got his own big billionaire <laughs> he backers. He does. Actually, I want to ask you, that, that was the next question I wanted to ask you, was we talked a lot about the Kochs, but 
There's another shady billionaire out there that has aligned with Steve Bannon that scares me more, uh, a man named Robert Mercer and his daughter, Rebecca. Uh, Robert Mercer invested $10 million into Breitbart uh, and a whole bunch of other Steve Bannon projects. Um, He invested in a white nationalist troll named Milo who hangs out with literal Nazis. Uh, He bankrolled the Trump campaign when Trump needed support the most. And because of that early investment, he and his daughter have enormous influence. They can push policy. They can choose personnel. Um, But the reason he scares me is because I have no idea why he does any of this. I think I understand the Koch brothers. I think I get what they do. They're they're greedy capitalists with corporate interests. I can can wrap my head around that. Um, Robert Mercer seems to believe Uh, truly insane conspiracy theories. He thinks the Clintons had their opponents murdered. He thinks that nuclear radiation resulting from the atomic bombs that the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki may have made Japanese citizens healthier. He literally believes human value is entirely derived from how much money you make. Who are the Mercers and and what kind of influence do they have in the Trump administration? Well, I mean, these are, you know, great questions because he's so mysterious and so reclusive that you really can't get um, very much, you know, solid information about him. I mean, the Cokes, I have to say, were also for many, many years completely under the radar. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been flushed out. But Mercer is only just beginning to be kind of flushed out. Um, You know, to use a non-clinical term, he's kind of an oddball. Um, He's somebody who... (laughs) doesn't like talking to other people very much. Um, he's uncomfortable making eye contact. He's brilliant at math. He's a, a computer scientist. And what he was able to do after he left IBM, what, he went to work at a huge hedge fund in Long Island in New York. And um, he was able to figure out how to use algorithms to kind of predict market swings, which has helped this one hedge fund, Renaissance Technologies, become the most lucrative hedge fund in the country. It's extraordinary. Um, it is. And everybody describes it as very secretive. It's kind of a black box. People mm-hmm. talk about it. They, 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 they don't let anyone know what their formulas are. Um, and uh, I'm sure people have to sign non-disclosures and, sure. you know, and non-compete things with them. But anyway, um, he is – so he's a, he's brilliant at that, but he's got really strange views. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you named some of them. He also um, – he it, the, the way I was able to finally um, figure out a little bit about what he thinks was mm-hmm. – he became so controversial, even within his own firm, that people were getting uncomfortable with him. And wow. there was well, there was one uh, man who I interviewed named David Magerman, who really told me a lot about mm-hmm. um, what Bob Mercer thinks. He'd been in another a number of arguments with him, and he was really worried when when Mercer started backing Steve Bannon in a big way. Magerman's a Jew. He's very <laughs> um, protective of sort of uh, minority rights. And he thought the alt-right was really becoming a kind of a hate force in the country. Mm -hmm. So he confronted his boss, Mercer, and he said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you taking the money that we're earning for you and putting it into these hate movements? And Mercer and he had a huge blowout, and it Mm -hmm. ended up with Magerman having to leave the company. But he, meanwhile, described what Mercer told him. Among the other things that was interesting was Mercer believes that the Civil Rights Act um, was a huge mistake in American politics. Um, he thinks there is no racism in America except 
um, black racism against white people. Okay. Um, this is what he told Magerman. And, and you mentioned some of his other exotic views, um, the belief that nuclear radiation might be good for your health. Your piece on this in The New Yorker is eye-opening, to say the least. I highly recommend people read it. Uh, but, you know, the thing, the, the thing I have to say, Tommy, is that, you know, where we started is what happened after Citizens United? Mm-hmm. Well, the power shifted in the country away from parties and towards these individual billionaire funders, some of whom have really esoteric and bizarre views. Mm-hmm. But because they've got the money, they've got the influence. And so you have somebody like Mercer where the public doesn't even know what he wants. Yeah. But he's he's just exerting this oversized influence because he's got such a huge fortune. Yeah. And and it's it's distorting it's distorting democracy really, because what happens is, you know, the most voters don't have the same views that these guys have, mm-hmm. but they're getting their way simply by dint of their fortunes. Yeah, and it, it also feels like it, it feels like it's distorting every institution that's been weakened over time, including the media. Um, the Mercers also funded a group called the Government Accountability Institute, which was run by Steve Bannon. GAI, as it's called, paid a Breitbart reporter to pull together a book of opposition research and corruption allegations about Hillary Clinton that was released as a book called Clinton Cash. That book was given to the New York Times. Uh, it resulted in a whole bunch of stories that sort of formed the basis for all these corruption charges that were later used against Hillary and, you know, led to lots of fun lock her up chants. Um, I have peddled my fair share of opposition research in my day, but that arrangement seemed kind of weird to me. I mean, you're one of the best investigative reporters in the business. Did it surprise you that the New York Times would work with some a group like that? Or is this how things work in, in I don't know, in opposition research and business? Well, it's complicated since, as you say, you've probably peddled opposition research from the other side. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the responsibility of a news organization, um, and I used to work for the Wall Street Journal, so I've been a newspaper reporter before joining The New Yorker. The responsibility of the reporter is to, I feel, talk to everybody, whatever their point of view is, and and try to have a huge network of people that you're in touch with um, and not just push you know, one, one political point of view. But the second part of the responsibility is to um, uh, ensure that anything you publish is true. Mm-hmm. So you can't just take opposition research and slap it into the newspaper and give it to the public without verifying it or doing your own reporting on it. And that what the critics said about that particular episode was that the Government Accountability Institute was was creating some um, very one-sided reporting mm-hmm. that wasn't f- completely fair and wasn't completely in context. Some of it was interesting. I have to say some of it was good, but some of it was um, – was, um, you know, very slanted. Mm-hmm. And so the Times came in for a lot of criticism for immediately kind of swallowing it. The conversation will get even more crooked after this break. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Stamps.com. Guys, the holidays are almost here. What? I don't have time to go to the post office. I have so much stuff to do. I don't have time to go to the post office. That's crazy. Post office. It's going to be busy with all those people sending holiday yeah. gifts and cards. Yeah, exactly. And, and It's like you, you read my mind. So what do you do? Filing mortgage things because the Republicans are about to raise everybody's mortgages. Yeah. I use stamps.com, Tommy. Why do you do that? 
because it brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service to my fingertips. That's pretty cool. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your computer and your printer. And the mailman or mailwoman or woman. picks it up. Could I send Hanukkah gelt? You could. Stamps.com makes that easy. You'll send with, they get you a digital scale. Okay, you can measure your gelt. You can weigh it. And they can calculate the exact postage. Can I send uh, uh, donuts in the tradition of Hanukkah? Yes. Sure. Because stamps.com will help you decide the best class of mail every time. You the oil print, lasted eight nights. You can print postage any day, anytime. And it was the coolest thing those Jews have ever seen. It's always open. <laughs> stamps.com is great. The Maccabees. We send all our shirts from Crooked Media using stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the wonders of stamps.com with a special offer that Ooh. includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Crooked Convos. Elijah, what's up with the Maccabees? you remember? stamps.com, enter Crooked Convos, plural. We're going to get these codes consistent, I promise. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. My guest today is Jane Mayer on Crooked Conversations. I'm obviously a partisan. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot about Republicans today and Republican donors. But I do want to sincerely ask you, I mean, do both sides do this? Because I think you see a lot of problems of money in politics dismissed as a problem for both sides. Is there a liberal analog uh, or version of the Koch brothers or the institutions and organizations they've set up? Well, I mean, there is a sort of a factory for opposition research, which David Brock set up, um, mm-hmm. who, it's funny, he used to be a right winger and then he decided to become a, a kind of a liberal left winger or, or whatever mm-hmm. and, and, and took the techniques of the right over to the Democratic Party. Um, but, um, and there certainly are Democratic funders with tons of money, and you mm-hmm. do have people like Soros that pour money into politics. It's, from my standpoint, I'll tell you why I don't think it's equivalent, and you can kind of draw a false equivalency, and you'd, you'd be distorting what's happening. 80% of the dark money that was spent in the last election in 2016 was on the right. Wow. This is where the, this is where the right is where the money is, in do- the dark money is. Mm-hmm. And, and... In terms of opposition research, I mean, I have talked to oppo research people on all sure. sides. I'm always disappointed in the Democrats. They never get the dirt. <laughs> yeah, come on, <laughs> or guys. else it's just not as good. Yeah. I don't know. But um, on the no, really, the truth is on the on the right. There's incredible distorted stuff that that is peddled mm-hmm. and 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 very nasty stuff. And you really have to be careful about taking any of it from either side. So let me ask you that question with a different tone. Why don't both sides do it? Why don't Democrats replicate the the pipeline that the Koch brothers have? I, I personally, um, you know, I think that they would be in in stronger position if they reverse engineered a lot of what the Kochs have done. What the Kochs did was, you have to remember, if you t- go back to 1980, they had a point of view that was a joke. 
it was so far right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were practically falling off the edge of the earth. And William F. Buckley, a huge conservative, was laughing at them and calling them anarcho-totalitarians. <laughs> so, um, but they didn't give up. You know, Democrats tend to maybe not play the long game and persevere in in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but a lot, you know, I think you know, in terms of funding university programs and think tanks and all that kind of thing. I suppose the Democrats would help themselves a lot if they did that. And they, they've, they've started to a little bit more yeah. in recent years. We're more prone to uh, cannibalizing our own, I think. Why is that? You know, I wonder this a lot myself. I mean, I think fundamentally, I think Republicans, like you, you have a quote in the book from a high-level Renaissance employee who said, Bob thinks the less government, the better. He's happy. People don't trust the government. And if the president's a bozo, he's fine with that. He wants it all to fall down. Uh, I think that's a pretty good summary of why the right has a much easier job when it comes to slash and burn politics than the left. We have to defend institutions. We're trying to fund them, promote them, build them, uh, whereas they do not. And they want to tear many of them down. You know, the thing is that Democrats tend to respect government. Mm-hmm. Um, and the democratic process, where you've now got a lot of radical right Republicans who really want to see the government fail, so and 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 see the democratic process fail. Yeah. So that's that's that that, that creates a, uh, asymmetric warfare. Yeah, and a lack of funding, and I think combined, it's it's trouble. Um, disconcertingly, in May, President Trump signed an executive order that allows uh, tax exempt churches to more actively participate in politics. I think this move really went under the radar given the potential significance, but it could lead to a huge influx of dark money into the political system. Can you talk a bit about that EO and, and how it might change uh, the way churches uh, are able to contribute to politicians or political campaigns? It's just a whole new potential loophole because pretty much anybody in this country can be a church. Mm-hmm. So what, <laughs> what, what it, we, you know, I mean, you yeah. think of your friends getting married I, by some universal minister I'm, or whatever. I'm ordained in Utah. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> so if anybody can be a church and everybody who's a church can get a, you know, a, a tax-exempt status and have anonymous donors giving you money— it means there's a whole new way you can influence politics anonymously. It's a, it's a, just a complete new form of dark money spending. My final question for you now that I've depressed the hell out of everyone as thoroughly uh, as I was after I finished the book, what can we do about it? Um, how do we fix a campaign finance system to, and prevent dark money from distorting our politics when the Supreme Court has weighed in, when President Trump named Gorsuch to the court, uh, and whether there's a frightening chance that he might have another chance uh, to name more justices. So I have to say I am a reporter, not a sure, um, sure, not a pundit, not a prognosticator. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, I may disappoint you on okay. this front, but uh, the, 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 I, I do think that if you're looking for change, you're not going to get it from this Supreme Court. So you've got to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And as a reporter, I can tell you there are a number of places— around this country at the local level where communities are beginning to do very interesting things to try to control the flow of money into politics. There are all kinds of rules being passed, um, limits set, candidates agreeing with each other not to spend more than a certain amount. Uh, There are places like New York City where small donors get um, – 
money that amplifies the amount that they're going to give so that they can have collectively as much um, spending power as a few big donors. Um, there, there are a lot of things being. I think it. I think it's going to come up from the bottom, from the local level, is what we're going to see. And I'm actually, despite everybody's depression <laughs> over <laughs> over this book, um, the truth is, I felt it put out a kind of a roadmap for what anybody could do. Um, it helps, of course, to have uh, $95 billion that these two mm-hmm. two Koch brothers have between them. But you don't actually have to have that to do what they did. Um, y- there are a lot of ways you can change politics. And I think in 2018, um, I can see a lot of possibilities that, that if people got— there's a tremendous amount of sort of pushback against Trump all over the country— um, I, you know, there are an awful lot of people signing up to be candidates. Mm-hmm. The Democratic Campaign Committee, um, the Congressional Campaign Committee has more money than the Republicans right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot going on. Yeah. If, people, if people care about it, you, you can see from this book, if you actually just kind of get organized and, and, and throw yourself into it, you can change the whole direction of the country. That's what these people did. Jane Mayer is the author of Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right. I highly recommend that you read the book. It is fantastic. And thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Tommy, great to be with you. Thanks. Great to be in the swamp. <laughs> Let's drain it. If you liked what you heard today, please rate us in the iTunes store. And if you have ideas for things you'd like to hear covered, please send us your suggestions on the Crooked Media Facebook page. We want to hear from you guys. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and check back next week for more important conversations about things that really matter. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.